Hello and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. This is a message given by Tom Job on Sunday morning, February 5th, 2023, from the Gospel of Matthew and chapter 15. So, um, so I heard, I heard this thing, um, that happened. I don't know if this actually happened, but I heard that it happened, and it was be, it was kind of before um, smartphones and all that stuff. But there was a guy who was walking down Cumberland Avenue, and he had these two gigantic suitcases, and he was walking with these suitcases. And there was another guy who was who had to go to like this um, lecture at UT, and he was late, and he and so he stopped the guy with the suitcases, and he said. Hey, brother, do you know what time it is? And the guy put his suitcases down, and he looked at his watch, and he said, it is 1027, and your name is Will Butterton, and you're 36 years old, and you've been married for seven years. And the guy looked at him, and he said, and you have two kids, one that's four and one that's five, and your blood pressure is a little bit high. And he said, how do you know all that stuff about me? And he said, it's just this watch. It tells me everything. Like my, it's, a kind of, it's a special watch, and it just tells me everything about everybody that I'm around. And he said, I, and your parents met in Des Moines, Iowa. And he said, how? I, I need a watch. Where do you get a watch like this? And he said, well, you can't really get it. There's only seven in the world. And he said, I really want one. Would you sell that to me? And the guy said, well, I, I got an offer for it last month, $10,000. He said, I'll give you, I'll write you a check right now for $11,000. I really need a watch. He said, well, I am kind of tired of knowing everything about everybody. He said, I guess I'll sell to you. So the guy wrote him a check for $11,000 and he took the watch off and he gave it to the guy. And he put it on. He said, thanks, man. He started to walk away. And then the guy picked up his big old suitcase and he said, wait a minute, brother, you're forgetting the batteries. But the, so, um, but there was a, sometimes when you, like when you read the gospels, you get the feeling that like Jesus, he just knew stuff like he knew stuff like how did he know that like how did he know that stuff when when he was getting ready to go into Jerusalem on um, on that Palm Sunday when he was going to really just let everybody know that he really was the Messiah and that he was coming into this the holy city and he said to to two of his guys he said okay so go into the city and when you go when you go down a, a certain place you're going to see a donkey tied outside of a house and so just untie it and bring it and if the people inside the house come out and say what are you doing with our donkey just say uh, the master needs it and he'll bring it right back and so they were like okay so they went into the city and what? There was a donkey tied outside of a house, and they untied it, and these guys came out and said, what are you doing with our donkey? And they said, the master needs it. And they said, oh, okay, great, no problem. And they were like, how, does, how did he know that? Like, we're like the 12 disciples. I thought we knew everybody in this operation. Like, who, who, who are these people? Uh, one time, Jesus was having a, a conversation with a woman and, um, that he had never met, and he wanted to take it to uh, kind of a deeper level. So he said, why don't you go get your husband and bring him here and we could talk about this together. And she said, I, I'm not married, I don't have a husband. And he said, you're right, you've had five husbands and you're living with someone now who won't marry, who you're not married with. And it was like, how did he know that? I mean, one time he was walking through a city 
And he, he, he got to a certain place and he looked up in the sky. He was actually looking up into a tree because there was a human being in the tree and he knew it. And he knew the guy's name. And he said, Zach, he has come out of that tree. I got to talk to you. And it's like, how do you know everything? I mean, you just, you just like know everything. How do you know this stuff? There was, I remember the, uh, a guy that I, a guy I used to love to listen to. His name was, he was a professor at Eastern University named Tony Campolo. And he said one time he was asked to give a talk at a small Pentecostal college that was near uh, where he, where he worked, was a professor. And before he gave his talk, some of the other professors took him into a side room to pray over him and you know he said they were really you know they put their hands on you know, he said they were you know they were Pentecostals so they put your hands on you and the more they prayed the harder they press you know and, and they were saying Lord help them to feel the Holy Spirit and he said I was feeling something I wasn't quite sure if it was the Holy Spirit but it was press, present on me and then one of the guys just said Lord I'm going to take this opportunity because I need to pray about something because there's a young man down the road named Charles Stolfus and he is about to leave his wife and his kids, and he's gonna ruin his family. He lives about halfway down to the, to the Pennsylvania, um, to the Pennsylvania Turnpike, you know, in that trailer park, you know, and he's in that silver, that silver trailer, you know, and he, Tony said he was ready for, ready for the guy to give Jesus his address, you know, so that he would know who he was talking about. But he said, don't let him leave his family. Don't let him ruin his family. I just, I've heard he's going to do it and I don't want him to do it. So don't let him do it. So anyway, Tony, so Tony gave his, uh, his lecture and then when he was done, he was just driving back towards Eastern and he got up on the Pennsylvania Turnpike and there was a guy hitchhiking there and he said, and he said, you know, I know you're not supposed to pick him up, but I'm a Baptist preacher. So if I can have somebody locked in my car and I can preach to him, I'm gonna do it. So he said, so he, he said, hey buddy, do you need a ride? And he said, sure. And he said, he said, hi, my name's Tony Campolo. He said, my name's Charles Stolfus. Well, he didn't say anything to him, but the next exit, he got off, crossed the road and came back. He said, hey man, I'm not really going this way. He said, you left your wife and your kids today. And he said, and you're, you were about to ruin your family and you may do it, but you're not doing it today. And he got off the exit and he went to the silver trailer, pulled in the driveway and he said, how did you know that? How do you know where I live? God told me. And he said, so he said, get in there. And he sat them both down. He said, I'm going to talk. You both are going to listen. And he led them both to Jesus. But so, um, but so there was, so anyway, when it came time on the day that Jesus was arrested, and it was really the day before most people would eat the Passover. And his guy said, we haven't done any shopping. We haven't done anything. Where are we going to have the Passover? And Jesus told them, okay, this is what you do. Go into the city. You'll see a man carrying a jar of water on his head, which in a paternalistic society that wasn't, that back then that wasn't really a job that men did. It was, um, and so it was kind of a clue or something and an unusual thing. It's the whole thing started to feel kind of like a covert operation. He said, so you'll see this guy carrying a jar of water, just quietly follow him and then go into the house where he goes into and say, where is the, Passover going to be prepared for um, the master asked you and they did and it said that they found everything just as Jesus said it would be and I was reading that a couple of weeks ago and I just kind of got stuck there and I thought there are so many like corners 
in my life and so many moments and so many situations that I have found that to be true. That I have found everything just the way Jesus said it would be about lots of things. And so Lee and I got talking and we kind of thought maybe for like the Lenten season, I mean, we're a little bit early, but they put Christmas trees up at Home Depot on Labor Day, so um, that's okay. But maybe just talking about like for the next few weeks and kind of through Lent, different situations, different moments, different attitudes of the heart where we find everything to be just the way Jesus said it would be. Like one time Jesus said, the human heart is often like a batch of bread dough. And where a woman took some yeast and kind of snuck it into the dough, and, it, and in the scriptures, yeast is almost never a symbol of anything good. And it was just a little bit, but it went through the whole lump of dough. And there are a lot of things like that, like, it, like that if you let them get into your heart, like resentment, for example, it just sneaks in and before you know it, it's everywhere. And I have found that to be just like Jesus said it would be. Jesus said one time, he said, well, more than one time, he said one thing about God and money is that both of them demand your allegiance. And you can't have, and you have to decide which one of them is gonna be your master because you can't have two of those. You'll either love one and hate the other or hate the one and love the other. And I have found, just down through my many years of walking with Jesus and knowing people, that it turned out to be just the way Jesus said it would be. Jesus said, on more than one occasion. If you try to protect yourself, if you try to preserve your life, if you try to defend your time, your money, yourself, for yourself, you just lose it. But if you give it away, if you give your heart away, if you give your life away to love and to doing the will of Jesus, you find a life that is so big and so fun and so full. And I found that to be in people that I've read about and people that I've known. I found that to be just the way Jesus said it is because, I mean, the reason he knows everything and he knows is that he's, like he made the entire world, so he knows how it works. There's a place in the book of Proverbs where it says in chapter eight, it, it, the book of Proverbs talks a lot about um, what it calls wisdom. Um, and wisdom is just kind of the way God intended life to be living, lived in all the different parts of it. And um, because he made it that way, in chapter eight, wisdom says, you know, I'm really a part of the creation that God made. Like I, I'm, it's, wisdom is in the fabric of the universe so that if you live life the way he wanted you to, it's gonna be awesome. And if you don't, it won't. So he made it and he knows how it works and he knows every human heart and what's in it. So there's a place in Isaiah chapter nine talking about the Messiah when he would come and it said that he would be a wonderful counselor. 
And the Hebrew word for wonderful is a word that sometimes is translated astounding or amazing or miraculous. And I think that about Jesus in the way he talked about living and life and situations of life, that his insight is astounding and it's amazing and it's miraculous. And as you walk through stuff, you find it to be just the way he said it would be. So here's my one for today, okay? So that's what we're going to do, like in the next few weeks of Lent, is just different things Jesus said and how when you live in, you know, and walk through the world, you find it to be just the way he said it would be. So in Mark chapter 7 and in Matthew chapter 15, there's this thing where there was a group of people who were called the Pharisees who had come from Jerusalem and they were kind of checking Jesus out in a lot of ways. And the Pharisees were kind of a... So they were kind of like a religious, almost religious political party who were uh, feeling that their job was to legislate and mandate kind of moral standards for the society or whatever. And um, some of the things they got out of the scriptures and some of the stuff they were just making it up. So they had this thing about washing your hands. And so it, it didn't have anything to do with germs because Jesus was the only person in the world at that time who knew that they existed. So, but it had to do with something else. So like the Pharisees thought that because they kept all this stuff that they were, ex they were just like really exceptional people. And, and um, in fact, the word Pharisee, comes from the Persian word pedis, which means to be separated. And it's just like, they just felt like they were just exceptional. And, um, but they wound up having contact with kind of normal people and normal people, just having, just like ordinary old people, it would kind of contaminate you. And so, and if you kind of ate your food that way, it might get on your food and it might like pollute you. So they had this thing about washing their hands all the time. And they were kind of in a state of consternation because Jesus didn't follow that. Like he didn't, he didn't wash his hands the way they did. And they were like, why don't y'all do this? And Jesus said something that is, for me, astounding. It's amazingly insightful. It's miraculously insightful. Jesus said, it's not what goes in your mouth that pollutes you or contaminates you or defiles you. It's what comes out of your mouth. It's not what you eat. It's what you say. And like in Proverbs, a whole bunch it says like the things that you say can be very hurtful to people. You could wound someone. It's very easy what, in what you say, what you tweet, what you post, it's very easy to wound people or to crush them. And so basically in Proverbs, the less you say and tweet and post, pretty much the better. But what Jesus said was the things that you say are what hurt you. They, they contaminate you. So the word, um, the word that he used for that was, it was the word koino, where we get the word um, coincidence. 
or the word, or some people know the word koinonia, which means to, to have in common. And a coincidence is like two incidences that happen in common or like have something in common. And so what it basically means is the things that you could say when you have the possibility and the potential for being a person who is extraordinary, you could say things that would just pour water on all of that and make you into just a normal person like everybody else. When you should be extraordinary for it, just as an example. I personally believe things that have the potential to make me into an extraordinary person. And so do you. Like I believe that Jesus has forgiven me of all of the stupidness of my life and that I have said I have made almost an infinity of stupid choices and I have done so many stupid things and I have said so many stupid things. There was a night, the night that Jesus was arrested, that one of his closest friends made stupid choices and said a series of very stupid things. And at a certain point, Jesus, who was being interrogated, looked at him, looked across a courtyard at him. It was a look of love, of how much he loved him. And the guy went out and just thought, how could I have been so stupid? In the book of Proverbs, when it talks about what theologians call sin, the word it uses most is a word foolishness. It's, and if a, the word it uses for someone who does that stuff, who is a, like a sinner, theologically speaking, it calls a fool. It has about three different words it uses for that. Like there is a variety of foolish stupidness that I have done. And I'm guilty of a lot of things because I have been very stupid. And Jesus, who is the wisdom of God, felt that the wisest plan that could possibly be would be for him to come here out of heaven and to pay for all of my stupidness. It says in Ephesians chapter one that he forgave me of all of it by paying for it. And he did it in all the wisdom of God. It was the wisest thing that he could possibly do for a stupid person like me because when I realize that is true of me, I am filled with an extraordinary thankfulness. And Jesus understood that thankfulness is the most transformative dynamic in the spectrum of human emotion. And I am so thankful that he has forgiven me. I'm extraordinarily thankful. I have the, the potential to be. And being extraordinarily thankful makes a person extraordinarily joyful. Okay, so the only way I could really spoil that, one of the ways I could spoil that, is by saying something that would pull the plug on all of that. So Jesus said, don't ever call anybody a name. Don't call people names. 
Um, in the rest of the New Testament, it talks about slander. Don't name call. Don't do, never call anybody a name. Although I think in the last few years, it's past baseball as our national pastime. And he said, don't do it. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 22, he said, especially don't ever call anybody stupid. And the reason is because my extraordinary joy, my potential for extraordinary joy, comes from an extraordinary thankfulness that Jesus has forgiven me for an extraordinary amount of stupidness. And if I call somebody stupid, I'm saying, I'm not stupid, you're stupid. But if I say I'm not stupid, when my extraordinary joy comes from owning all of it, and in the end, I find out I'm not as happy as I was, that's the reason why. The way a person talks, like our words, it's funny, like the way a person talks, it's powerful, like it changes kind of your personality and the way you think. Um, so like, like the other day, I, I drove up yesterday, no, Friday. I drove up here in, in the parking lot, and Potsy was in his car, and our windows were rolled up, and he said, I could tell you were talking to one of your Italian friends because I could hear you. Like, I could hear you with our windows rolled up because, and your hands were going crazy because because he said, when you speak Italian, you're super loud and your hands go crazy. But it is kind of true that when I, when I speak Italian, I have a different personality. I have my Italian, it's my Italian me. Like my Italian personality, in, in, when I speak Italian, one person said, when you learn another language, it's like growing another head. And so when I speak Italian, um, I'm more assertive than the English speaking me because Italians, when they talk, they're very assertive. Like, so, so, and they're very confident about their opinions. And so like when people speak Italian, it's such a beautiful language that often when people speak, they'll hold their index finger and their thumb together and they keep time with what they say. And so somebody might say, so, so they'll say, se noi avessimo preso la strada che io ti ho detto, saremo arrivati prima. Eh, and then they do this, they'll separate their fingers and they go, eh, like if we had taken the road I said we should have taken, we would have gotten there first. Eh. And then you and then, but then it's easy also for them to contradict. And so, and then somebody might, somebody might say, they'd say, and then, ma non è così, ma non è così, which means, no, that's not really true. You have to do that little, and so, so, no. And so, so when I talk Italian, I have, I'm more assertive about my opinion. It's kind of, my Italian brain's a little bit more assertive than my other, than my other brain. The words you say are a confession and a confirmation of what you believe whether it's right or wrong. So like in, in Romans chapter 10, it says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. Like I believe it in my heart, and when I say it with my mouth, it's just, it's just more, it's just stronger in my heart. Sometimes I might believe a certain thing and say the opposite thing, and that makes it harder for me to believe the thing that I believe. Like it says, and Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter four, as it is written, we believe, therefore we also speak. And so I'm telling you things that I believe, that's why I'm saying it. But that actually comes from Psalm 116 where he said, I believed a certain thing, but I said something else. 
I said, I'm a great, I am, I believe in that God has taken care of me. But I said in my heart, I'm greatly afflicted. Everybody's a liar. Well, that's not true. Not everybody's a liar. So it's important to talk in a way that's consistent with what you believe because it's gonna make it, if you don't, it's gonna make it difficult for you to believe the things you believe that have the potential to make you extraordinary. So there's a place where Paul said, so in Romans, in Philippians chapter two, he said, if you wanna preach the gospel, if you wanna learn how to preach the gospel without saying anything, if you wanna shine like a star in a crooked and perverse generation, and share the good news of Jesus without saying anything. The good news is this, that because of Jesus, I have a relationship with God the Father, and he is my dad. He has become my dad, and I'm his little kid, and he knows how to take care of me, and he takes care of me so beautifully. St. Augustine said in his book, The Confessions, right at the beginning, it's about page five or six, he said, God was showing me from the very beginning that he's a beautiful dad and he knows how to take care of his kids. Like, for example, when I was a baby, he gave me a desire in my heart to suck, like just, I was hungry, and he gave me the desire to suck, and he gave my mom milk, and he gave her the desire to nurse me, and so I did that, and for her and for me, it was a beautiful thing. I don't remember any of this, but God was teaching me through that, that he's a wonderful dad, and he knows how to meet my needs, that I have a dad who is a wonderful dad, and he can take care of me. And the reason I have that is because Almighty God, the Son, came to earth, and he paid for me. He, 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 just, he took everything that I really deserved, and he took it himself and paid for it. And he gives me a wonderful life with a wonderful dad and a wonderful savior that I don't deserve. That's what I believe. So Paul said, if you want to communicate that to people without saying a word, let me tell you what to do. Never complain about anything. Do not do everything without complaining. If you never complain, what you're saying to people who really don't hear you not do that is I have a dad who takes care of me because Jesus took what I deserve. So when I complain, what I'm saying is, I am super unhappy. So in Exodus chapter 16, there was a lot of complaining about God taking care of them. And Moses said to God, I can't take them. They're complaining against me so much. And God said to Moses, Honey, they're not complaining against you. When they complain, they're complaining against me. And every time I complain, I am saying, God doesn't know how to take care. I am not happy with the way he is taking care of me. I don't think he knows either, doesn't know what he's doing, or he doesn't care to do a better job than this. I deserve better than this. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Yesterday in church, you said that Jesus paid for everything that you deserve. You're not going to get what you deserve. You're super happy about it. And everything you have, you don't deserve. Yeah, that was yesterday. Today is Monday. And I don't feel like I'm getting what I deserve. I 
I could have been extraordinarily thankful and I could have been extraordinarily happy, but I poured water on it by complaining about anything. And so you're like, well, it's just my words. They kept me from being extraordinary to being grumpy and sad like everybody else. So what do I do about this? Okay, nothing. Don't do anything about it. Like, what do you mean don't do anything about it? What I mean is, don't do it. Don't say that stuff. Don't call people names. Don't ever complain about anything. There's a place in, there's a place in Psalm 73 where there was a, there was a, a guy who was on his way to work. And he was actually the choir director in the temple. So like in the temple, in, in Solomon's temple, they had orchestras and choirs and all kinds of, so he was the choir director. And he was the guy that was the one that was in charge of getting the choir to sing about how awesome God is and about how much he takes care of us and how we have life and everything in him and just to be so pumped about having a God like this. And that was his job. And he was going to work to lead the choir to do that stuff. And he said, and I was about to explode. I was about to explode in, you know what? In complaining because I was not happy. And the reason I wasn't happy was because, you know, you want to know why? Because of wicked people. And because there are these wicked people and it's like they don't care about God at all and their life is so easy and they don't have any problems and they have all this money and they're so like arrogant in the way they talk and they're so mean in the way they talk and everybody kisses their feet and kisses their hands and all that stuff and they don't, they don't have any problems. I've got all the problems. I feel like I have washed my hands in vain. And I was about to explode with complaining, but then I thought, if I said anything about it, hey, you're the praise guy. You can't be doing that stuff. You can't be saying that stuff. You're the one that's getting us pumped. And so I didn't say anything about it. That was the best thing he could have possibly done, is if you feel like complaining, don't. And he didn't. And then he got to work, and he said, and when I got into like the temple, everything changed. Everything changed. And he saw something that made him realize, whoa, baby, whoa, hold on here. You have a relationship with all. They don't have that. You have a relationship with almighty God. All that stuff they have, it's just for a minute. And then it's going to be over. But you, he said, I have God. I, I have a God who, who holds my hand. I have a God who counsels me. I have the hand of God. I have the heart of God. And after it, he's going to take me into glory. I have a home with him. I have his hand. I have his heart. I have his home. How could I have thought? I was like an animal when I was thinking those things. How could I have thought those things when I have a God as sweet as the one that I do? This changes everything. I'm so glad I didn't say the stuff I was thinking. It would have made it harder 
to make the big change. And I thought, what was it that he saw? I was trying to think, what could he have possibly seen when he got to work to choir practice? And I don't really know, but when, when they got to the temple, there was a number of steps that they would take into this courtyard. And the first thing that he would have seen was a great big, it was like seven feet by seven feet by five feet. It was a big altar. And on that altar in the morning, it was probably still there when he got to work, there was a lamb that had been sacrificed. They would sacrifice a lamb in the morning and a lamb in the evening. And it may have been that, that I live, I have life, I have a God who takes my hand and walks with me, and he opens up his heart to me, and he, he's going to take me home one day because a lamb has died for me. And I, and I have a life, and I have a place in the heart of God and in the home of God because the lamb of God gave his life for me. How could I have forgotten that? I ought to never complain about anything as long as I live. There was a guy one time, I love his book, but, and I've told you all about this, but one time he gave, um, he went to medic and gave blood and they gave him a sticker and it said, be kind to me today, I gave blood for you. And he didn't really know what to do, I put it on his car, didn't know what to do with it. But on, the, on his door, as he walked out of the house, there was a crucifix and he put it above that. And every time he left his house, he looked at Jesus on the cross and it said, be kind to me today. I gave blood for you. There was a woman one time and her mom and dad were missionaries in Africa. And um, they lived in a mud house. They never had electricity or running water the whole time they were in Africa. Her mother was the most joyful person she knew. And her mom died. And she was looking through her mom's journals. And on the front page of almost all of her journals, it said, my three rules for living, number one, Never compare your life with that of anyone else in anything. Number two, never wish that your life was in any way different than the life you actually live. Number three, never complain about anything, including the weather. Lord God, thank you. Thank you that we have your heart. Thank you that we have a God who takes us by the hand. You're walking us through this world, taking us by the hand. You open up your heart to us. You're taking us home. How could we complain about, we do it, we do do it, and it makes us unhappy. Give us a heart to want to be happy. In Jesus' name. Jesus is on the main Tell him what you want. Jesus is on the main line. Tell him what you want. Jesus is on that main line. Tell him what you want. Call him up and tell him. Tell him what you want. 
Tell him what 